You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging. And then later on, it's very interesting because biomedical engineering is a very new field when I grew up in China. So my uncle, uh, who was an engineer, one day he uh, started to work in hospital. And then I heard the new discipline named biomedical engineering. And then I realized, okay, you don't have to be a doctor to help people, to help the public health. And because my interests are in engineering. So uh, I identified this discipline very quickly after I learned that there is a way that I can use my uh, interest and talent to help people. So that's how I come into this field because I have this really deep <clears throat> desire to, uh, to help people, to, to help improve the tre- treatment of whatever diseases, including cancer at that time. <laughs> And actually, that uh, I went to the very first biomedical engineering program in China. And then after that, I decided I want to go to the U.S. to uh, have a better training because the technology and everything here is more, much more advanced. And so that's how it gradually led me to what where I am now today. <laughs> Jutsie Wan is an assistant professor in CSU's School of Biomedical Engineering. She directs the Cardiovascular Biomechanics Laboratory in the Department of Mechanical Engineering, which bridges physics, biology, and engineering concepts to develop new treatments for cardiovascular diseases. In today's episode, Dr. Wan discusses the anatomy of the heart and why the right ventricle has historically been viewed as the forgotten chamber of the heart. We also discuss tissue engineering as a therapy for heart failure and disease. I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. Let's let's talk a little bit about just the heart in general. Let's start from a very like basic place of what is normal healthy heart function in a healthy adult and how does that change with age? Yeah, so the heart is the organ that used to be we think the most important organ because it's it's providing the blood flow to all different other organs in our body to maintain the normal function, right? So it's super important. It's It's like a pump that uh, carries blood flow everywhere. And then, of course, the circulation system will also bring the blood back. And then the heart will, uh, through the working with the systemic circulation and the pulmonary circulation. So these are two parallel circulation systems that will help our body to function. And really, the heart um, helps other organs to bring the oxygen, nutrients to those places, and then the cells will function well and then maintain the normal physiology function of the body. So, yeah, though I think in in the very old times, we used to use the stop beating of the heart as a criteria to check if a person is dead or not. So you can tell why it's important. Yeah. 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 So... uh, 
the next question is how does the heart change with age? Yeah. Right. So it's really like a lot other organs. Um, the heart is also uh, having some aging effects, and uh, usually we would uh, somehow compare it with other muscles like skeletal muscles. Right. We use them to walk to. Uh, uh, exercise every day. We need those kind of muscles. So these, all these type of muscles, they when they age, typically the muscle cells are not so strong. They couldn't generate that strong forces as in your young age. Um, so and so that that's why we feel weakened, right? And sometimes we feel fatigued because. The muscle needs time to recover, and it's getting longer. And actually, the the muscle itself would change somehow. For example, the muscle will get thicker, but it doesn't help to generate more forces. Like I mentioned, it generates less forces, and the heart will uh, beat slowly, So, which is also not very good to provide the blood flow. So, yeah, in general... And also arrhythmias, which means you have irregular heartbeats that's related with electrical uh, conduction. So that means that the pacemaker cells in your heart um, may go wrong, or even if that's functioning normally, then the electrical signals are not transmitted correctly with the aging heart. So yeah, there are a lot of changes that would occur. Yeah, changes to heart rate, changes to like your the beat of your heart, like arrhythmias, like you mentioned. Um, I'm assuming the thickening of the walls of the heart has a lot to do with diet and exercise too, doesn't it? Okay, actually, that's an excellent question. That is the same question that researchers will ask because heart muscles get thicker in a lot of situations. For example, athletes' hearts, when you do a lot of exercises, your muscle gets thicker. And we think that's pretty healthy response. But when the heart is under certain diseases, they also get thicker. The individual cells is larger than normal. So that's why in the field, we usually say that there are some kind of changes, like enlargement of the heart, that is considered adaptive or healthy and another type of changes is maladaptive or unhealthy however how do you distinguish these two it's still an ongoing research they could differ in many many different aspects i'm sure yeah yeah lots of different variables and reasons why so let's talk a little bit more about the heart as this dual pump system there's a left and a right side so tell us a little bit about that anatomy. So basically our heart is functioning like a coordinated dual pumps because the left side of the heart, the pump on the left side will um, bring the blood into all major organs like your brain, your liver, your intestine, your skeletal muscle everywhere pretty much. and they will pump basically oxygenated blood, which means the blood is enriched uh, with oxygen and then nutrients. So that is called systemic circulation. But think about it. After all organs consumed these oxygenated blood, we have to collect the deoxygenated blood 
from the veins, and the veins will collect the blood and bring it back to the right side of the heart, which is another pump. So then the right pump, right heart, will then brings these blood into the lungs, and it's at that place we got depleted uh, carbon dioxide and then getting more fresh oxygen so that our blood becomes oxygenated again. And then uh, the oxygenated blood, after it's passing through the lungs, will be collected and then returned to the left side. So this really, you can imagine these two pumps are in serial to make sure that the whole body works. Yeah, working in sync with each other. So what is a baseline of the work that you do? Tell us what biomechanics and mechanobiology are. Yeah, I understand there are, seems a lot of terminologies, new names, yeah. <laughs> jargons. Jargon, yes. <laughs> to the outsiders. But so, it's an interesting approach. I mean, so, it's a different perspective to thinking about the cardiovascular system. Exactly. So basically, because my uh, engineering background is in mechanical engineering, which means I study all kind of forces, pressure, flow, are these existing in the body? Yes, we have blood pressure, we have blood flow. All of these will generate some kind of mechanical forces. And then they would affect the, uh, the tissues or organs. And then each tissue or organ would also have their own properties, a lot of properties, right? And my focus is, again, on the mechanical properties. A simpler way to understand it is how about the stiffness of the blood vessel. What is the elasticity of the heart? So uh, these mechanical properties needs to be understood so that we c- we can review more of the pathology or development of the disease. So the study of these mechanical properties is called biomechanics. And the study of how the cells, tissue, organ, respond to mechanical forces is called mechanobiology. So these are really two, two sides of a coin to me. Yeah. So, so I'm basically using all of the mechanical engineering principles, physics, to trying to help better understand the cardiovascular diseases. And hopefully we can bring some new diagnosis criteria or tools and also bring some new treatment methods. Yeah, yeah. So that is a big picture. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting because you have the biological approach. Like I think of a biologist in a lab looking at this problem would think of the different biological processes that go into making the heart pump. But then you come in from this engineering perspective of like, mathematical equations for how blood runs through the heart. And it's two different perspectives that you really need to understand heart function and understand how we can develop different treatments and early diagnoses and things like that. Yes. So that's basically the mission of all biomedical engineers. It's just we're using different principles or equations, set of equations to solve these problems. Yeah, yeah, really fascinating. But it's very, very multidisciplinary. Sometimes it's hard to say that we never touch base on the electrical part of the problem. Yeah. As you can see that when we look into the uh, arrhythmia yeah. part of it, right, we we have to think about 
how does the mechanical property changes in the heart affect this electrical conductive function of the heart? Yeah. So these are linked, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, very fascinating. So tell us a little bit more about the specifics that you study in your lab. I know you're focused um, on aging, the aging right ventricle of the heart, because I understand it's been, or at least it was thought in the past to be like an unknown about the heart and why exactly it works the way that it does. So tell us about that. Sure. So um, my lab has a big focus on the right side of the heart, which is one pump in this dual pump systems. And uh, if if you uh, look into earlier presentations from my group or my students, uh, we usually put in the, either the title or the first introduction as something like forgotten chamber to refer to the right side of the heart, uh, simply because there's a usually a big, big uh, group of researchers who is studying left side of the heart or left ventricle. So uh, there are so many knowledges obtained from that part of the organ. However, the right side of the organ has been neglected for years. And uh, the traditional view is that, okay, right side is just a mirror of the left side. If we know the left side, the right side will be known. But I think uh, since early 2000, uh, more and more evidence are showing that actually the two chambers are designed differently, even in the fetus state. So, and then more and more differences, biological, molecular, developmental, mechanical, functional, a lot of differences are found between the left and right side. And my group definitely identify this gap of knowledge, and then we want to fill this gap. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more as to why there is so much known about the left ventricle and not so much the right? Is it is it because of what you were saying? They, you know, researchers think if we understand the left side, then the right is going to do the same thing? Or is there other reasons why the left ventricle is what is focused on? That's actually a very good question. I'm not sure if I can give the most correct answer as of why. Yeah. Uh, from my personal perspective, I think perhaps because initially when we take the patients in the hospital, what are the m- most patients we've seen initially? Those people with heart attack. And where does a heart attack occur mostly? In the left side. Mm, okay. So, right, so a heart attack or some other um, myocardiomyopathy uh, patients, which means they have very dilated, weak heart muscles. So those are the, the majority of the patients that has been treated initially. So that has driven a lot of research on this specific part of the organ. Yeah. And I have to acknowledge that we have made so much progress in this field. Yeah. And nowadays, if you think about cardiac diseases, we really can manage a lot of them. So that is why I'm mentioning that uh, now the more difficult case heart failure patients to deal with are those uh, that we don't know how to better improve the left side of the heart and those patients that you 
you not only have the problem in the left side, you also have the problem in the right side. And then pulmonary hypertension itself come into the picture because, again, perhaps initially these kind of patients are not so uh, much studied because we have much more other patients to uh, deal with. So after we have made progress in those patients, we can maintain um, a pretty good survival rate, and then we start to see some other new problems. So that's my personal perspective. Not sure if yeah. it's complete enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good hypothesis. You know, someone comes into the hospital with a very acute ischemic attack. And what are you going to do is focus all your energy on, on fixing that immediate problem. So it makes sense. And it is a still a persistent problem because even nowadays for heart attack patients, Yes, we can rescue them mostly if if they are sent to the hospital shortly enough after the heart attack occurred. Yeah. However, the the problem with the ischemia part, which is the part that has a blocked blood flow and then scar tissue would form, and then there is never a renewal of the of the heart, of and this part becomes dead tissue and then it will expand so that's why that's still a very big challenging area in the left side Uh, but at least we can do better than previously we can save the patient's life much much better than previously yeah 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 yeah. that's really fascinating you actually touched on what I want to get to next which is the heart and heart cells do not regenerate in in the in your lifetime it's you're born with them and then they age <laughs> so tell us a little bit about tissue engineering and a regenerative medicine approach to the heart that i know that your lab is interested in yeah so the heart m- muscle cells is a very special type of cells it's unlike other organ cells these cells they quickly lose their ability to proliferate themselves. So if you don't know what proliferate means, it means that the cell can divide and then repopulate themselves. So as you can imagine, this is a super important function to somehow maintain the tissue or organ to be functioning, right? They can, which means they can uh, self-fix or self-renew somehow. Um, That actually has uh, been pretty uh, normal for other type of cells in the body. However, the, in the heart, the cardiac muscle cells, they lose this uh, property. And therefore, once a problem occurs, it's becoming so difficult to repopulate this part of the tissue, and then it's so difficult to fix the problem. So uh, because of that, uh, the tissue engineering approach or regenerative medicine approach has been coming very, very welcome in the heart research area. People are trying to find a ways to renew this part of the tissue. Yeah. So it is a very big area of research. And for my group, again, since we're focusing on the right side of the heart, we want to see how we can help to renew the right side of the heart when it's becoming diseased. 
And the interesting thing is that, like I mentioned, we know that the two ventricles, two sides of the heart are very different in many natures. Actually, even the disease, the pathology could also be different. So obviously, you, th- you would think there should be different strategies to treat, to renew the two sides of the heart with different tissue engineering approaches. Yeah. So I assume this gets into stem cells and pluripotent cells and all of all of those kinds of things that you can do in a Petri dish. Yes. Yeah. So can you tell us about maybe a a couple recent studies in that area that your lab has worked on? So since my lab's expertise is really based on mechanical engineering principles. So the focus of our lab's research is trying to understand how does the mechanical property of the tissues affect the stem cells function, right? So suppose you um, provide some stem cells to a healthy heart versus to a diseased heart, they have very different mechanical behaviors you would expect the stem cells would generate different outcomes. And how does these different heart tissue would affect the regenerative potential of the cells? It is unknown. Mm -hmm. So that is really the new direction that my lab is trying to make some breakthroughs. Yeah, so my group specifically, we are looking into the right side of the heart. So that's why we want to understand, okay, if we want to deliver this kind of stem cells, then what are the different functions the cell will generate when it's facing a healthy tissue versus when it's facing a diseased tissue when they have very different Uh, mechanical properties and a simple example would be okay one environment is having soft tissue the other environment in the diseased heart is having a stiff tissue so how does the cell sense stiffness and also for example we also look into how does the cell sense a mechanical environment that is having the same behavior in all directions. We call it isotropic. There's Mm -hmm. a term, (laughs) again, uh, to describe this kind of behavior versus in other conditions, like the, the, the mechanical property is different in different directions. It is called unisotropic. And I can give you two examples. For example, in normal tissues, the heart muscles are pretty much aligned in certain ways. So obviously then the mechanical properties are unisentropic because the aligned direction and the cross direction would be behave differently. However, let's say if you have ischemic heart and then a scar tissue formed, then the scar tissue would become stiffer first and secondly, it loses this aligned uh, distribution of muscle cells. And then you lose the the anisentropic behavior. Yeah. All of these factors would affect the cells. Yeah. So we are studying things like how the mechanical factors would affect the cells' behavior and Mm -hmm. then trying to better prepare the cells to treat the heart. Yeah. 
Yeah. So just to clarify and make sure that I understand and so that listeners can understand too. So the reason we bring up stem cells and we talk about those is because they are, you know, early progenitor cells that can develop into multiple different kinds of tissues. That's the purpose of a stem cell is is to recognize the environment that it's in and, and proliferate. And so, so when you have a diseased or an aging heart, you are interested in a regenerative medicine approach that, you know, adds stem cells um, and to, and the stem cells then try to see and sense the environment that they're in. Um, and they will then, you know, develop these different properties and these different processes based on being in that unhealthy environment. Is that about right? Yeah, maybe I was more uh, talking about what kind of mechanical environment yeah. uh, previously. You may lose the picture, w- then what does it to do with the cells? Yeah. So basically to regenerate uh, the, the heart tissue, there are two branches. The one branch is that, like you mentioned, polypluripotent. Yeah. <laughs> that is another term that means that you can uh, differentiate a stem cell into any type of cells in the organ, right, including cardiac muscle cells. Mm-hmm. So that, in that direction, the challenge is how do you guide the stem cells to differentiate only into cardiac muscle cells, not other cells, because we don't need other cells in the heart, right? So, and that direction, it has certain challenge until nowadays because it's super difficult to induce mature cardiac muscle cells. So that's, again, mechanical environment could play a role to guide the differentiation. Mm-hmm. So there are studies on that. Another direction is that let's not trying to differentiate into new cardiac muscle cells. How about we just use these stem cells to generate some trophy factors, which means a whole set of nutrients that will help the existing cardiac muscle cells to become more healthy. So that is another direction, which means we don't really need to guide the stem cells to become cardiac muscle cells. Instead, we want to guide these cells to secrete some good factors that will boost the current cardiac muscle cells. So my group is choosing this kind of direction uh, for a couple of reasons i don't have time probably to talk <laughs> today but so so this is this is called paracrine function mm. of the stem cells okay and paracrine. that is yeah a newer direction and it is also favored by a lot of people in the cardiac research field so our group is really trying to see how the mechanical factors would regulate the cells capability to generate good nutrients for the cardiac muscle cells so that is the very specific, more specific question that my group is yeah. uh, chasing. At. Yeah. 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 That's really, really fascinating stuff. I assume that this relates to like when you see a news story and they're talking about how they created a heart out of these random cells in a dish and it's this big revolutionary thing that they've done. That That is what tissue engineering aims to do in a way. Yes. So basically, we want to make sure we can, we can have controlled yeah. cell behavior, right? So yeah. that we can, uh, maybe in the future, we can even design some patient-specific 
control of the cells so that we can design different set of nutrient nutrients for different patients. Yeah. Through tissue engineering. So yeah. that is the, the long vision. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing that's I think important to talk about too, again to like bring it home, why is this important to take this approach? is I know you've talked to me about pharmaceutical therapies and that they're limited and they they can't always, you know, treat these disorders that we're talking about or these aging conditions that we're talking about. Artificial pumps have their own limitations too. So can you talk a little about that? So uh, we we do have some drugs that can uh, help to improve the heart function. But we have to acknowledge that the end-stage heart failure, which means when the heart failure becomes very severe, all pharmaceutical treatments really have only limited effects or limited improvements. And it ends up that the patient will still have to rely on a heart transplant to help them. And we know that organ uh, transplant, a big uh, issue is always that how many hearts are available for you to have a new heart to tra- to get transplanted, right? So uh, because of that, then the the pump, uh, artificial pump, is uh, coming into is coming into place. It will help the patients while they are waiting for a new heart to be transplanted. So these are all optional. However, I think regenerative medicine offers us another approach. If we can regenerate or renew the tissue by itself, we don't need to get an, another person's heart, right? So, yeah. Or if we can have a tissue-engineered whole heart yeah. constructed, we can transplant. We can also make this more like an industrial product rather than... Uh, Again, waiting for donors, tissues, organs, and then there's a lot of whole other aspects to consider. Correct. Yeah. A lab-grown heart. <laughs> it, yes. sounds, it sounds very science fiction. It sounds very 100, 200 years down the road kind of thing. I'm curious to hear from you, you know, in your lifetime, do you think that we'll be able to make a bunch of progress in that direction? Um, I'm an optimistic person. Yeah, <clears throat> I would think perhaps so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. It is very ambitious because heart is a very complex organ. Yeah, it is not. It it's not like a piece of bone. It's relatively easy to uh, construct it in the lab. But the heart, it has so complex structures, different functions you want to confer into this. However, I think. Uh, Maybe one or two years ago, an Israel lab, <laughs> they have posted their whole tissue-engineered heart Yeah, that is beating. <laughs> in I, th- I think I remember that. I remember that. I have a lot of questions. I really want to learn more <laughs> about that research. However, I think it gives us some promise, right? I think we should always have hope. <laughs> As an engineer, you know, you want to make sure. Everything is working, no other concerns, no safety issues, no risks. Yeah. You know, we want to make sure that we bring the, the safest, best uh, available treatment to the patients before it's, it's uh, 
yeah. really implemented. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. of course. But I just want to keep that hope. <laughs> of course, yes. That will give us strength to face all the obstacles and failures every day. <laughs> of course, yeah, it's a good goal to aim for. Well, then I will ask you this last question that I am asking everyone this season who comes on the show, which is, can you identify a major challenge in your field that you believe must be met in order to realize real increases in health span or healthy aging? Yeah, I think this major challenge to me, it comes back to the unique uh, property of the cardiac muscle cells, which is this type of cell, it's so difficult to replicate itself. It loses its capability. So I think, I hope we can find some new ways to really boost the population. Um, perhaps first f- find some good ways in petri dish in the lab, and then we can implement in the real tissue in in through either preclinical or animal research or even clinical trials. So the renewal potential of the cardiac muscle cells, I think it's the big challenge. Yeah. And I, like I mentioned, there are two branches now in this field. You can either try to uh, improve the differentiation and the maturation of the cardiac of the stem cells into cardiac cells, or you can somehow try to fix the current population. So I think we should keep our minds open with all kind of possibilities. Yeah. So that is the the main challenge to to uh, in the cardiac regeneration. Uh, of course, it's super important for the healthy aging, and the other. Um, the other breakthrough I think that will help in the promoting healthy aging in heart is I think we should have a better understanding of maturation and aging of the heart, probably through a much bigger scope. For example, I know there are groups who focus on uh, <clears throat> on the on the congenital heart diseases. There are groups who focus on the aging population. So I think, for example, my group, we have some data. We don't know the whole picture yet, but we already noticed that if we compare the middle-aged heart versus the young adult heart, we already see some changes in the mechanical properties, which means I think we all know that aging doesn't occur in one day. It's a continuous process that will lead to some accumulative effects. So I think if we can understand better about throughout our life, the aging process in the heart, especially what what can we do in our middle age, among 30s, 40s, that we can try to help to prevent or delay the aging of the heart that we, we really see in at the senior age, those, those uh, adverse events, if we can somehow have a good way to deal with that, I think we're, we're going to make a huge impact. Yeah. So these are my thoughts. 
Well, Dr. Juan, thank you so, so much for being here today. I had so much fun talking to you about this subject. I hope you did too. Yeah, of course. It's so nice to talk to someone outside <laughs> of <laughs> yeah. my group and or my field. Yeah. And I, I hope uh, this conversation is also exciting to um, broader audience so that they would appreciate uh, the, all kinds of research related to aging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.